The words of C.S. Lewis is a fitting introduction to this sermon. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13 speak of the devil. But he is not the main hero of the story. God is. The Bible is God's word and it tells God's story. But the devil has always been there from the very beginning, lurking behind the scenes, influencing the world through his under-demons and occasionally making his appearance. And so we do need to talk about him, even if it's just to remind the materialists among us that Satan is real and he is not nice. A materialist is someone who doesn't believe in Satan's existence because we can't see him. But believe me, he is real and he is nasty. Satan is not just the enemy of God, but he is also the enemy of all humanity. His plan is to deceive the whole world so that everyone will worship him instead of the real God. He is a real scammer. He uses every opportunity to corrupt the good in God's creation. He has no creativity in himself, so he imitates whatever God is doing, but for his own agenda. And so the purpose of this sermon is to warn you against him. Don't fall into his scam. He will rob you of everything you have, and you'll end up in the lake of fire with him. The second reason we need to talk about him is to remind all of us that he has been defeated. His judgment is coming. When we see Jesus reigning supremely with his people at the end, when all things are being completed, that's the picture we're going to see in Revelation chapter 14. The Lamb of God is gathered together with 144,000 of his holy people at Mount Zion. And there Jesus makes his stand in direct opposition to Satan, the dragon, his beast, the false prophets, and the people who worship the beast. That's the future that is coming. Jesus ruling from Zion as the true king, defeating all his enemies. But we're living in the period described by the writer of Hebrews as the period of the not yet. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, the writer described what God has achieved for Jesus. God has made Jesus a little lower than the angels. God has crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under Jesus' feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, he left nothing outside of his control. But at the present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. God has decreed that everything and everyone in this world is to submit to the rule of Jesus as the rightful king. But we don't see this reality at the moment. We're living in the period of the now and not yet. Jesus has begun to rule in heaven, but Satan is still holding the world hostage with his deception, his army of demons, and the false prophets. The next few chapters of the book of Revelation, beginning with chapter 12, is going to read like an epic battle between good and evil. It's a battle between the dragon and the lamb. But don't misunderstand the power dynamics here. The dragon is not equal in power and authority to God. He is constantly outplayed by God. But his weapon of choice is deception. He is a copycat. 
and he confuses the world with a fake Christ, the beast who recovered from a fatal wound on one of his heads. In other words, the beast of the dragon had a fake resurrection. He is represented here as the Antichrist, a real challenge to the worship of God and to the real Christ, the Lamb. The challenge and the insult to the real God and His Christ is summed up in Revelation chapter 13, verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? That's the challenge. For this sermon, I've divided Revelation 12 and 13 into four sections, each telling the backstory about how the devil was defeated but remained on the earth to deceive humanity. But before I give you the fourth section, let me say something about the timing of the events described here in chapter 12 and 13. As far as the writer John is concerned, the most important event in history has already taken place. Jesus Christ is risen. We just celebrated Easter in a very special way, each of us from our own homes and in our own hearts. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in history. For all intention and purpose, that will be our time reference. We see Jesus raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. Imagine the gospel event being made into a movie story, announcing the great news of God's victory and salvation. That's the meaning of the word gospel. It means news, breaking news. And so this movie is a blockbuster award-winning movie event. There will never be another movie story as significant as this story. And now imagine that the next movie that followed this one is the prequel, not the sequel to the story of the gospel. I like to describe Revelation chapter 12 and 13 as the backstory to the good news of Jesus. It helps us to understand the spiritual warfare that is raging among us even now. This backstory explains why Satan still attacks the churches, why the world rejects the good news of Jesus, and why our battle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul says at the end of his letter to the Ephesians. Paul wrote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Paul is talking about Satan. And so here are my four subdivisions for our passage today. Firstly, we see the dragon defeated. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. He was defeated when he tried to devour the, the child born by the women, and then he and his army were defeated again by Michael and his angels. The second section is what I call the revenge of the dragon. This section is from Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 to chapter 13, verse 4. See, the defeated dragon with his injured pride and with raging anger, first turned his revenge on the women and her offspring, the church. He failed yet again as God carried the women on eagles' wings and sheltered her in the desert. 
But Satan's greatest revenge was his creation of a fake Messiah, the beast that looked like it recovered from a fatal wound. The whole world worships the dragon when they worship this beast. In the third section, from Revelation chapter 13, verse 5 to 10, we see that the fake Messiah opened his mouth and proclaimed a fake gospel. This gospel attacks the name of God. It attacks God's dwelling place and it attacks God's people. And all the people who were not sealed, that is, whose names were not written in the book of life, worshipped the beast. This beast is the Antichrist. During his reign, God's people suffered and the world is being deceived. I know that many will be wondering who is this Antichrist? Let me just say quickly that the Antichrist is symbolic. John himself has already written that there are many Antichrists and many had already come. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 20, this is what John said. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. John is referring to the Holy Spirit. And here that brings us to the fourth section. Now in the fourth section, beginning from Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 to 14, here we see the appearance of a second beast whose job was to give breath, life to the image of the first beast. This beast forced all the inhabitants of the earth to receive its seal and mark on their right hand and the forehead. The second beast is a copycat of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the sermon is titled The Unholy Trinity. This beast could perform great signs, like causing fire to come down from heaven, maybe a copycat version of the Spirit coming down on God's people on the day of the Pentecost. But this beast is nothing like the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is gentle. This beast is violent. And violence is done to all who follow this beast. They are being forced by the system of this world to submit to the power and authority of Satan, the dragon, in order to trade and survive in this world. My friends, when you think about it, isn't it already happening to us? Satan and his machination is already forcing everyone to conform to the values and ways of the world in order to survive. Paul writes in Romans 12, I appear to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The only way our minds can be renewed and transformed is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we do not belong to God. In the end, there are only two kinds of people in this world, and it's not whether you believe in Satan's existence or not. It's whether your names are written in the book of life of the Lamb, 
which is another way of saying being sealed by the Holy Spirit for salvation. Either your name is written there, or you still belong to the world. Satan is quite happy for you not to believe in his existence, as long as you don't believe and don't belong to the Lamb of God. The outcome will still be the same. Either you belong to the Lamb, or by default you belong to the world and Satan. I pray that you will choose wisely, for the consequences are eternal. Let me pray, and we'll take a quick review of the individual sections. Abba Father, you have revealed these things to your children so that we will not be afraid of the evil one. Give us ears to hear this message now, wherever we are listening from. When the seed of the gospel is planted, sometimes the devil takes away the seed before it has a chance to fall. Prevent him, Father. Rebuke him, Father. Sometimes it is our own hearts that is the problem. Soften our, our hearts now. Weed out the distractions and worries that so many are plagued with at the moment so that we can hear the gospel without choking out its life force. We want to bear fruits for you, Heavenly Father, fruits of righteousness for your praise and glory so that you are proven right and you gain glory and honor from your enemy. Amen. Let's have a look at the first point, the defeat of the dragon, the first Revelation chapter 12, one, verses 1 to 12. The story about an evil usurper who tries to seize the rule of the kingdom by threatening to kill the yet unborn prince is not unique to the Bible. Many ancient mythologies contain a similar story. Often the prince child was whisked away as soon as he was born. In the meantime, the usurper rules until the prince child returns, all grown up and ready to kill the usurper and to reclaim the throne. In one particular version, the goddess Leto was pregnant with Apollo when the dragon python attracted her to kill the child because the child was destined to destroy the dragon. Apollo was rescued by Zeus and the women and the child were hidden by Poseidon underwater to protect them from the dragon and Apollo eventually returned to slay the dragon. The point of this is not to suggest that the Bible is copying from other mythologies. It does, however, suggest that what we have here at the beginning of chapter 12 is highly symbolic. Chapter 12 follows the sounding of the seventh trumpet back in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And we know that in the Old Testament, the sounding of the trumpet is often associated with warfare. The trumpet is used to prepare God's people for war. Chapter 12 is setting up the scene for a cosmic battle, and it's a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Let's have a look again at the closing of chapter 11. Reading from verse 15 and 16 of chapter 11, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and began to reign. The nations rage, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, 
and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Therefore, what is in view here, coming out from chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12, is symbolic. It represents the struggle between God's kingdom and the devil's attempt to usurp it. I know that this first section reads like the Christmas story, and there are many similarities, especially since King Herod tried to kill Jesus as soon as he found out about Jesus' birth. I do believe that this story is ultimately about the birth of Jesus, but the woman here is not Mary. It's important to say this because some might see the description, description here of the women as evidence that Mary is somehow semi-divine, if not equal with God himself. See, this is not a literal event. It is symbolic. The women clothed with the sun, moon, and wears a crown of 12 stars is symbolic of the kingdom of God. See, in many Jewish writings, the sun, the moon, and the stars are associated with Abraham, Sarah, and their descendants. The woman is symbolic. She symbolizes the kingdom of God on earth represented by God's promise in the covenant, first to Israel and then today to the church. Not only does this remind us of the covenant of God's promise, it takes us back to the beginning of the covenant of grace itself. The language here in Revelation 12, with the women crying out in birth pains and the agony of childbirth, strongly reminds us of Genesis chapter 3, when Satan first tempted Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. In chapter three, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, we read, God says, I will put enmity between you, the, say, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, that's a fatal wound, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Here in Genesis chapter 3, is the beginning of the covenant of grace. God promised that an offspring of the women will be born to crush the offspring of Satan. He will crush Satan's head, and Satan will hurt him too by biting his heels. Revelation 12, therefore, is the backstory of the spiritual warfare between God's kingdom and Satan. Satan's attack is the reason why there exists a gap between God's kingdom on here, uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why the woman is symbolic uh, of God's kingdom, not Mary. Secondly, we see the child. The child will rule with an iron rod in verse 5. We know that this child is the promised Messiah, the one that was promised in many of the Old Testament prophets, that this child is going to rule forever with an everlasting kingdom, hence the symbol of a rod of iron. Here in summary, therefore, we see that this great sign that appeared in heaven of the women in childbirth with the dragon poised to strike, as soon as this child is born, is meant to create in us a sense of fear and vulnerability. We worry for the women and the child, what will happen to this promise of the covenant if Satan managed to succeed? But the good news is God rescued the child. Throughout the narrative, we see God frustrating the plans of Satan. Satan does not realize that he's playing a losing game here. The next scene 
that John saw is the victory of God's angel over and against Satan and his army. Again, the timing is not the important thing here. For what it's worth, I think this event happens when the gospel is being preached. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, he says, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's when the 72 return from preaching the gospel. Let's st- stand firm in the gospel of this kingdom. Whenever we preach the gospel, whenever we celebrate the acts of the gospel, right, baptism and the Lord's Supper, we deal a deadly blow to the enemy's kingdom. This is symbolized by the battle between Michael and the dragon. The name Michael means who is like God. Michael fights against the dragon, ultimately because Satan claims to be God, especially with his deception. This brings us to the second section, the revenge of the dragon. So the defeated dragon is exiled from heaven, cast down on earth. He then took his anger on the women. She is symbolic here. She represents the kingdom of God, right, the church. But the woman was given a pair of wings like eagles and brought to the wilderness, just like Israel. The earth protected her from the attack of the dragon. And so once again, the dragon failed. And when he cannot attack her, he turns to attack her offspring. By now we must be so familiar with this description. God's people are the people who keep God's word and who are people who hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Verse 17, The dragon became furious with the women and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and who hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Friends, that's why the churches during the time of John were suffering and were persecuted. Remember the letters of Jesus to the seven churches? Remember Jesus' exhortation for them to persevere? In the end, all that persecution, all that suffering were the result of Satan's work in the world battling against the church, accusing the church. And again, it's worth saying that Satan is not equal in power with God. He's constantly being outplayed by God we can have this confidence that God is going to win. Uh, but notice that Satan decides to play to his strength next. Right? Satan is the deceiver. That's his strength. The Bible describes Satan as masquerading as an angel of light. He deceives people by looking innocent. No horns, no pitchfork, maybe someone in an Armani suit. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says, No wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What we see in the next two sections is Satan creating the fake trinity. Standing by the sea and by his dark powers, Satan called up a beast and gave his power and authority to this beast. The description of this beast is worth reflecting. The beast here bears similarities to the four beasts in Daniel's vision in chapter 7. In Daniel's vision, four beasts came out from the sea that looked like a leopard, a bear, a lion, and then a final beast that was the most terrifying of all. This final beast had three of its horns plucked by a small horn. Each of the beasts and the horns represented a different kingdom and a different king. The beast here in Revelation 13 is the culmination of all the chaos and evils of the world. It rules on behalf of the dragon. It was given authority over all the powers, principalities, and systems of the world. 
And this beast is the Antichrist, or more appropriately, the fake Christ. For this beast looked like it recovered from a mortal wound that healed, just like the promised Messiah would be wounded by the serpent in Genesis 3. Here lies Satan's revenge against God. He can't beat God, so he imitates God so that the world will be confused and led away. The whole world marveled and followed this beast. This beast is stunning. So much so that everyone's natural reaction to the beast is to marvel. The world is captivated by its charisma and appearance. Later in Revelation chapter 17, John himself fell prey to this when he was captivated by another of the devil's personification, Babylon the great prostitute. At 17 verse 6 and 8, when John saw the women, John was greatly marveled by that. But the angel said to John, Why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the women. So the world is so captivated by this beast and the world sings its praise instead of the praises of the one and only true God. So they worship the dragon for he has given his authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? In the third section, we see this fake Christ preach a fake gospel and this fake gospel is anti-God and anti-God's kingdom. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and the faith of the saints. My dear friend, there are only two ways to live in this life. Either your name is in the book of life of the Lamb, in verse 8, or you still belong to the world. Those who believe have been chosen before the foundation of the world. That is to say, the entire drama of the birth of the Messiah King was always God's purpose and plan. The revelation of Jesus as God's chosen one is not an accident or afterthought. It's all part of God's plan. Satan might believe that he has outwitted God, but nothing takes God by surprise. Notice that God has limited the rule of the beast to 42 months, or 1,260 days, or time and times and a half. The repetition of this number suggests that the events in Revelation are cyclical. Each new revelation reveals deeper and greater insight into the one reality, the reality of Christ and his kingdom. So let's not try and work out who the Antichrist is. There are so many in this world already. The point is for us to listen and repent before it's too late. Since we do not know if we are the ones chosen, let us listen and hear prayerfully and pay great attention to this message. Some will hear this and unfortunately Satan will take this gospel message away. I pray against it 
against that. I pray that you will hear these words and turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. Then there are those who, who listen, but their minds are of the world. They cannot understand the gospel because the gospel is against the principle and values of the world. The world is the domain of the beast who are sprouting anti-God sentiments and values every day. So turn back. Do not follow the beast. Do not marvel at his wealth and his power. Do not receive his sign, which is the sign of worldly humanity. This brings me to my final section. To complete the deception, Satan even created the fake ministry of the Holy Spirit with the second beast, and this time the beast came from the earth. And I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. So clearly a personification of the dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wounds was healed. And this beast performed great signs, making fire comes down from heaven in front of people. Uh, and it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast so that it deceives all the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, this beast, in verse 15 and 18, was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it caused all both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast, the, the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understand calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Just as God is Father, Son, and Spirit, the dragon tries to imitate this. The dragon gives his authority to the first beast with the mortal wounds being healed, and then created the second beast. The second beast wants everyone in the world to worship the first beast. That, my friend, is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants us to follow and worship Jesus. The Holy Spirit breathes life into the message of Jesus so that when we listen to the message of Jesus, we receive life. The Holy Spirit inspired a true prophecy or preaching concerning Jesus. On the contrary, the second beast inspired the false prophets to speak untruth concerning the gospel message. And just like how the Holy Spirit seals the true believers with the name of the Father and the Lamb, the fake beast seals with the number of humanity, which is 666. Many claims that this is the number of the Antichrist. I see it more as the number of the unholy trinity, the imperfect trinity. Right? It is the number of the imperfect trinity because it's one short of seven, the perfect number, and you multiply it by three times. Here is the unholy trinity rearing its ugly heads against the true Christ and the true spirit. And we're going to encounter the true Christ in the next chapter in chapter 14. I can't wait to tell you about the victory of Christ and the people who are sealed with him, the symbolic 144,000 of God's elite followers. But that's next week's sermon, uh, when we shall see the return of the true Prince Child to reclaim his throne. Until then, I pray that you spend time this week reflecting on Revelation 12 and 13. May God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Spirit of Truth open your eyes to see the truth of the Gospel 
and believe. Thank you for joining us this week. Blessing in Christ.